0: I to build the builds the and I supply the sir. I survived the fish and take some
1: home to lie, sir.
2: Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's the second Tuesday, of the month, 4 p.m. time for boat talk here on Community Radio WERU FM Blue Hill and WERU.org. Boat talk is a call-in radio show. Finally, after all these years with the COVID. Restrictions, we're back live, and you can call in to Boat Talk to talk about anything nautical that you'd like to talk about. The number is 469 0500 into the studio. Um, if the phone lines do get congested, you can also email us too at boattalkgmail.com. But either way, um, this is a, a forum for everybody here in the community. And we're going to go to our usual Boat Talk form and start off with um, John Johansson and the Boat Yard Report, what's happening down the coast, John?
1: Well, everybody's busy. There's no question about that. Some of the shops I stopped in this month is uh, Albert Hutchinson's shop, which is Hutchinson Composites down in uh, Cushing. He has a 54 sitting on the floor that's going to, I believe, Massachusetts to be finished. Uh, he's got another 54 behind that. And basically, he's booked for a couple of years uh, with 42s and 46s. I know that one, either a 42 or 46, is going to Matt Sledge's shop, which is Samusette Boatworks in uh, Booth Bay Harbor. And from there, uh, we, I went over to Chris Stickney's shop. He's a little uh, boat shop on the way down to uh, Port Clyde, uh, Tenants Harbor. He's on the right side just before you make the turn that if you wanted to go over to Spruce Head. And Chris is working on a couple of small boats. He's got a Whitehall in there. He's got a Monthegan skiff. And then he was going to work on another couple of uh, lobster boats, wooden lobster boats. Uh, a guy by the name of jo- uh, Joey Pinkham. I don't know how many of you follow me on Facebook, but just use my name, John Johansson, And I happened to show just a side view of a uh, of a uh, Muscle Ridge 46 that was has been fished hard. It's only about five years old, but, boy, it looks a little older than that. And if you looked at the top of the Holland side, there was a hole from Holland. And I got a call and said, well, you want to see the rest of the boat? And so I went down to Joey Pinkham's shop, which is called Three Blondes Boatworks, and he's operating out of a shop in Harpswell, And the boat was in there, and they had ground the forward end of the keel and uh, about 20 to 25 feet of the aft end of the keel where it had gone over a ledge. And she was going to get basically a hole. all of that was fixed. They had removed the engine, all that stuff, and they had got all of the stuff inside uh, ripped apart and uh, replaced, and then they were going to do a little cosmetic work and get her cleaned up so she looks a little better. Uh, Then I went into, uh, uh, well with my new boat, I took off, had the propeller taken off at Journey's End Marine, and it was kind of interesting, because I got an email back from Nautilus Marine saying, it's junk. <laughs> so I got a quick lesson in what junk means, and why it became junk, and apparently the former owner, uh, maybe uh, the boat had been in the water too long, and the zincs were probably uh, gone, and basically, it sacked all of the good metal out of the uh, propeller, which means that basically there was nothing to weld to. And because she had a cage on her, uh, she probably had uh, cavitation, and cavitation uh, can actually take parts of the tip away. So they couldn't do anything, so I had an option of actually picking up a 28 by 28 uh, prop uh, that had been reconditioned, but it needed three more inches of pitch added But by the time you figured it all out, you might as well have bought a new one because it was $100 cheaper, but it only took 16 to 20 weeks to get here from either Vietnam or the Philippines. And a quick lesson on that was interesting because I said, well, why can't we get it in the States? And they said, well, all the old timers no longer work, which means that what he was implying was that they were still using the old (laughs) method of banging the propeller into shape. But I guess in the Philippines and in Vietnam, they don't do that, and they're very, very high-tech, and they're very, very good at making this thing, uh, all the tips exactly the same, perfect. And he says, uh, you wouldn't get a better propeller. They stopped in at uh, Atlantic Boat, and they had two 35s underway. One was gonna go out as a kit boat. That was going down, I believe, to Cushing uh, to be finished. Uh, no, maybe uh, St. George. And then another one was a research vessel going to Massachusetts with a Western windshield. Uh, And then they were getting ready to finish up a 29, which is based on their 26, and they add the extra three feet because of the uh, outboard on the uh, stern, and it's the 26 outboard version. And they think this is going to be a pretty big seller. Uh, Then I went down to uh, Dale, uh, who runs... uh, oceanville boatworks down in oceanville which is in stonington and they had a big 47 Osman, which had been extended to a 50-footer and that boat was they had all of those uh, deck in so all of the structure under the platforms done they had made some alterations to the boat they had uh, cut the side out so you the washboard wasn't so far out so that the, it was easier to pull the traps in inside uh, And that boat was expected to be finished sometime probably uh, uh, mid-spring. Then I saw Marshall Farnham. I don't know how many of you remember Marshall. Marshall used to race lobster boats out of Booth Bay and fish out of Booth Bay, but now he's actually the manager. He also worked for Matt Sledge at uh, Samuset Boatworks. But he's now running the uh, production and repair facility at Kittery Point Yacht Yard, which is now part of uh, Safe Harbors. And they had a Holland uh, 32 in there, which they had done a lot of work on last year. She was only going to get some minor work this year. Uh, basically, they're going to haul the engine out and replace the uh, engine mounts because they were a little afraid that they, the guy fishes the boat hard as a tuna boat. And so they didn't want any failures. So it was just preventive maintenance. And then they were going to maybe do a little work down below, it's, you know, just some uh, putting on a couple doors and that sort of thing. Stacy Raymond's got a couple boats down there. I know he's got a 42 uh, Westmac that's being finished out as a sport fish boat. And he had a JC-31 that they were finishing out as a towboat for somebody. Then I stopped at Willis Beals. He, uh, he's back in the shop and back on the model. And if you follow either me or Alonzo Alley, uh, you can see this model. It's a 63-inch uh, model uh, built the same way that you would build a wooden boat. Um, and he started it last year. Uh, and he is now progressing through the house. Uh, everything is done down forward. Uh, he's got the house on it, and he's also got the engine in it. Uh, the engine, I'm sure it was 3-D printed, but it's absolutely perfect. If you looked at it, you'd think it was the real thing. And then Brooklyn boatyard Yard, I did a quick run through there, and what's interesting, we knew that they were doing a boatine. And I think it's a low 40s maybe a 40-footer, and then they were doing a 47-foot design from uh, Jim Taylor, a sailboat. But there was a keel for a 55-foot wheeler. And I knew the wheeler was on order, and then uh, one of the workers turned around and says, yeah, but we got to build another one. So they're going to build two 55s this winter and probably into the summer. They probably won't get either of those done, uh, you know, until after the season's over. But that's about it.
2: Your mic's not working. So that's that's what's happening on the coast. It's always good to have that that news. Um, I remember many years ago, Giffy Full saying to uh, Mike and I that you really need to go down to the boatyards and talk to them and see what's happening. And so I'm glad you're filling in that that void there, John. Um, <clears throat> the Golden Globe race. Um, it's a round the world race i like to describe it as a uh, if you compare it to a road race it's like racing a really long road race in your grandma's car with no gp with no cell phone because this golden Globe gold race is boats that are probably what 30 40 years old
1: they have to be 1988 they have to be 1988 uh, production boat they have to have at least 10 uh hulls come out of that same mold, and you have to use technology from 1968, the, same, the year that they started this race, because there was only one finisher in the first race. The other guy, though, there was one guy that just went around the world one and a half times, because when he got to Cape Horn, he just continued over to Tahiti because he figured it was better than France. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So anyway, Kirsten, the person that we've been following, one from South, America, uh, South Africa, yep. um, has slipped from second into third place. And she's been going kind of slow lately. You think there's something wrong with her boat?
1: I know that there was a problem with one of the uh, uh, tracks, and I don't know if it was on the mast or it's on one of the Genoas, but I know she had that problem. But she was also in a hole because the guy behind her that actually caught up 100 miles, he's he's been in the same wind, and they've been kind of the same kind of speed all along. Mm-hmm. The guy in front is in front now by about 900 miles. But that doesn't mean he's going to stay there. He could fall into a hole too because they don't have weather. You know, they can pick it up. If you can pick it up with a satellite or, you know, whatever they have on board, You know, because under New Zealand, I know they could get weather from there. And under Australia, they could get weather uh, reports. But where they are now, probably not. So, you know, he Mm -hmm. could fall into a big hole, too. Well,
2: I hope so. (laughs) 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 So speaking of races, let's go on to the Talisker um, Atlantic Challenge. I don't know if you're aware of this one. We talked about it in Boat Talk 2 years ago when we talked with a four woman team mm-hmm. who was part of a team this is a rowboat race that goes from the Canary Islands across the Atlantic to the Caribbean yeah wow. uh, uh, yeah wow yeah. No, i can't understand anybody you know saying hey what a, what a good idea let's try rowing what <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there are 42 entrants in, in this race this year, 42 different boats um, from one to five-person uh, teams, um, men, women, and mixed. And the, the leaders, the four, there's three, four-person teams that are almost all the way across. They've got another couple hundred miles to go, and they'll be all the way across. Um, it just blows me away that 42 pe- 42 teams is probably close to... Fifty or sixty people, it would decide to do this. <laughs> you know, different strokes for different folks, as they say.
1: Well, there was a number of people back in there was a number of people back in the old days that did this. Remember a guy by the name of Crappo? He was from New Bedford. He was a whaler, and when he got married, that was the honeymoon. They took across, they took off from New Bedford and and it went across to uh, England. And he made it. I can't, I can't remember the book. It's published in a book
2: did he uh did he get divorced on the way
1: <laughs> no. no you got no place to go <laughs> <Yeah>. captured audience
2: <laughs> so let's let's get down to the to the meat of the show now um last month's show we had a pretty interesting interview with several people concerning um whale entanglements and uh we ended up uh talking at the end of it about a, uh, an invention, well, I'll call it an invention, a thought that Peter Stein, our, our guest here, has come up with for um, retrieving lobster traps from the bottom without the usual line and buoy system that, that lobstermen have been doing for years. So we're going to talk with Peter Stein. I'll give you the intros. He's chairman of the board and chief scientist of Maine Fishing Technology Corporation, and he started started his own f- company, Scientifics Solutions, down in Portland 30 years ago. He's been doing all kinds of uh, sonar, um, marine uh, technology sort of stuff for a lot of it for the Navy. So. He uh, he definitely has a, a strong background in uh, marine interests that we're going to be talking about. And we also have here fisherman Jerry Willey. He's a fourth-generation lobsterman fishing out of owl's head, and he has long set traps, mostly in the offshore area, 25 miles offshore, uh, in mostly LMA number 1, which is the area now that's closed um, because of whales, close to fishing between October 1st and January 31st and Jeremy now is also president of the Maine Fishing Technology Corporation so we're going to be talking quite a bit about uh, as I like to say bringing the lobster industry into the 21st century here and I think we'll start with Peter uh, describing your system and just how it works welcome Peter
3: Welcome and thank you, Alan. Thank you so much for having me here, and it's a pleasure, and it's especially a pleasure and an honor to be sitting next to my new friend Lobsterman Jeremy. And he made me sound very smart, but I just want to really emphasize that I find Jeremy to be every bit as smart or smarter than I am, in terms <laughs> of uh, <laughs> where we're heading on all of this. Um, and it's been such a pleasure. Um, the system is complicated. Uh, talking about the entire system and the details of the system and. And and what it is and what its all components are is really complicated, but what I can say is there's no particular component of the system that's not been proven in technology, and it's mostly technology that's developed um, within the U.S. Navy. and And those are, those are those have been my stomping grounds for 30 years. I've, I've been working for the Office of Naval Research and in large sonar system development and in large ocean engineering projects and. And in terms of the system that I believe that we're about to create for the Maine uh, lobstermen, the Maine fishermen, uh, the Gulf of Maine, uh, and hopefully beyond, is, is um, uh, an incredible opportunity for Maine to create the system. And the system, if you talk about it from the top down, consists of, of, of lobster boats um, uh, outfitted with high-speed Internet, from satellites. It consists of our lobster trawls um, uh, having uh, home beacons or communication beacons on them that communicate with the surface boat without any wires which is what fundamentally actually allows us to get rid of the uh, the end lines and the floats. It's to remove the end lines and the floats. It's a marking system. It helps keep track of where the boats are. It communicates data from them. And in our vision We do not use what they call the ropeless traps or the new on-demand gear to remove the end lines. We're going to use um, an underwater drone that swims down a rope to latch onto it. Think of it as a powered grapple. It's one job is to bring down a rope, get that rope latched on to the trawl so you can pull it up by the existing hauler. And that's sort of the basics of the system. But it goes so far beyond that, you know, Alan. It just just goes so far beyond that because once – you're committed to doing this. You're committed to sensorizing, what we call sensorizing the trawls. And all that means is that the trawl's gonna have at a minimum a power supply, a computer, and that does something. And there's just so much more that we can do at the same time in terms of our ability to collect ocean data. And when, and I'll, I'll, I'm gonna turn it over to Jeremy in a second after I just finish up. And, and, And when you look at the sustainment of the Gulf of Maine, When you look at our issues associated with the climate change, the wind farms, the entanglements of where are the whales, um, what are the effects, and so forth, um, it's my mother always said, you know, if you don't know what you're going to do, what you can do, you don't have enough data yet. We do not have enough data yet. The fishermen and the lobster fleet is a tremendously underutilized asset in terms of collecting that data and what you're seeing here in the formation of this company, the Maine Fishing Technology Corporation. Is the main lobstering industry stepping up, taking the bull by the horns, and saying, We are going to develop a system for us and that works for us and works beyond? And uh, I'll pass it to Jeremy, I think. Unless
2: you have another question following. <laughs> uh, no, 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 go ahead, Jerry. Why don't you explain? Just you have a boat. Uh, what's the name of your boat, by the way?
4: Uh, my boat is the Leviathan.
2: Leviathan. Yeah, it's a, a 46. <laughs> it right? is a whale, yeah. yeah.
4: Uh, or Kraken or, you know, mythical uh, depends on the mythology, I guess, that you're reading. But um, it's a 46 muscle ridge, um, you know, 750 deer. I stay offshore all year round. Um, and so for me, uh, being displaced from the closure and then, you know, seeing what's coming down the pike for uh, future potential closures, uh, gear reductions, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff coming at us and, uh, I couldn't sit by idle any longer. Um, and so when I, uh, saw Peter speak at the, um, scoping meeting, you know, uh, uh I'll admit, you know, we all heckled him off stage cause it's, it, it sounds so space age. Uh, Great but, story. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it, then I got thinking about it and I said, this is, this might be something different. Um, because, uh, I don't, I don't want to entertain any of the these, you know, so-called ropeless, and I, I want to, I'm going to give credit to Peter for, for pointing this out so many times, we need to do away with that term ropeless, because if you're stuffing a rope in a bag, it's still, you're still using rope to retrieve it, so, um, you know, if it inflates any, it, that, if what we're talking about is end line free fishing, that's that would be more accurate to what it is. Um, because a, a tether line or a tag line to retrieve it that's being taken down by a drone, is not that's not an end line. It's something that's attached to the boat, and I can pull it back out of the water, uh, and it doesn't stay there. Um, so, yeah, as Peter said, it's a big system. There's a, a lot of moving components, and when you kind of come up with one idea that's at the top of it, and you have to backtrack and see how do you get there, how do you even get to that idea of a drone that could go down. Well, you need to back up. You need to, ma- you need to mark the gear. You need to back up from that. You need to have um, a, a fleet of boats that are willing to go out and test a system to even test the accuracy of of, of the, your locations being transmitted from the bottom. Um, so then you you have to back up to the beginning, and, and you got to start with the industry and getting guys on board. And um, so I'm I'm sticking my neck out there, and I'm going to take a different approach, and and we're going to work together this time because the uh, previous efforts are, are, you know, we're 10 years into this, you know, on-demand fishing, you know, it's been being developed from Woods Hole and other places, and it always comes from the, the, the science desk out to the fishing community, uh, and it needs to go the other way around uh, for a change, and we, we need to have some input.
1: So are you already on board? Do you have?
4: Are you using these? Uh, no, I'm not. Um, we are because it's not readily available and there's two problems with ropeless okay when you even bring up the ideal of endline free or on demand or anything you have to separate it into two categories one is gear marking one is gear retrieval and you cannot have any type of retrieval legally uh, without marking it effectively and even if today i wanted to spend a million dollars or whatever it would cost for all the on-demand gear i could possibly get i still wouldn't be allowed to fish in the closure with that gear because i cannot effectively mark my gear electronically for enforcement and for practical reasons um, fishing alongside of other boats so um, we have uh, what i would call kind of phase one available hardware we have it it's not something that's futuristic It, it it can be used to prove out our theory that we can work together. We can gather a fleet of boats, um, and then how we progress from there, um, you know, depends on a, a lot of different things. But w- we're working towards it, and it's it's steamrolled in the past six weeks, so um, we're working towards so it. So why is it steamrolled? Uh, in in the in the approach that I've taken with fishermen and and other entities that have a. Um, any interest in the Gulf of Maine. I mean, you've got conservationists that are worried about the whales, rightfully so. I mean, nobody, nobody wants to kill any whales. Like, we're, we're out there because we appreciate the ocean and, and all that, so, um, you know, that's a misnomer that needs to get squashed. But, um, you know, when you sit down and you start talking nuts and bolts with guys that are on the water and they understand that there's a lack of data, you look at the top level, the courts, there's a lack of data. We're in court because there's a lack of data and these big, you know, just general rules and closures have been put in place without any finite material. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the data that NOAA and these court cases are relying on are from, you know, the, the 80s, the 90s. Some of this stuff is, is decades old and that's their data that they're using to determine these, you know, current and new laws. That, to me, is, is it's so faulty from the start, you know, so.
1: So are you starting to collect this data, the data that you need?
4: Uh, no, that would be where we'd get that's in phase one. I mean, this project's only been going yeah, through. Yeah,
3: that's the, basically the proposal. Yeah. Right. It, 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 the proposal is, again, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's sort of, yeah, no, we we need we have a significant amount of both planning and team building and gathering and so forth. This is a major system engineering project. That's Jeremy alluded to it. It's just where you take one part about it. And you sort of weed that down and you go, okay, well, that interacts with that part of it and that, that's with that part about it. And what really hasn't um, been done yet from our perspective in terms of the way NOAA does things and it's differently in the sense in the way the DOD does things, the Department of Defense built a system as is that there has to be a sort of a moment where you sort of get everybody out of the water and you're saying, I'm building a system for this area. Call it the, the LMA one restricted area right now. We want to get back in there and we have to develop a system of fishing, of lobstering, that gets us back into that zone. And what you want to do in the beginning is sort of get everybody, pun intended, out of the water and go, what are the requirements across the board for this system so I can see how all the different components react? And you're talking about a system that monitors for marine mammals, that removes the end lines, that collects ocean data, and a system that we can do so much more with if we take this comprehensive sort of systems approach to the problem. And that's what this company is is, is differs from others. And what we also recognize, too, within the system that we're creating is that it's going to have to become, in a sense, operational, and it's complicated. And when that happens, it's a big step from sort of the R&D space to the operational space. And that's much best suited by, by a private company pushing that forward because there's, of course, commercial opportunity here. If we are able to move fast because we are the iconic Maine lobstering industry and we need to save the iconic Maine lobster industry and we need to save the right whales and we need to protect the environment to sustain it in climate change, if all of that. If we move, we will invent technology and gather technology that we will be able to implement around the world, around the country and around the world. And that's the concept of this, this company. It's meant to It's meant to recognize that there is unquestionably going to be a a major leap into the twenty first century of fishing, and that the who better than the iconic Maine lobstering industry to take us there, into that twenty first century.
1: So, what do you need to develop now?
3: What do we need to develop now? Yeah, t-
1: technologically. What you know? What's your next step?
3: Oh, the next the next step of the project, you know, you know when 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 it secures the support and 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 in our In our congressional delegation and our DMR and all did an unbelievably good job securing what they secured for us. It was exactly what we needed
1: that was in the last
3: bill yeah it, it comes it 's it's, 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 it's unquestionably the trade that we would have made. you know give us six years, give us funding, significant funding, tens of millions of dollars because that is what it 's going to take, and we will did move
1: you, did you get that
3: no that is that is now just let out of Congress and starting to move. And people are trying to, to um, people are trying to um, to figure out just how to how to organize a program to build a system this big. Just what it should be, it's something that hasn't hit the fishing industry before.
1: But you can do that, right?
3: We are qual This team is absolutely, from my experience in the Department of Defense, qualified to be what I would call the prime contractor, to be the integrator, to be the one that oversees all the different pieces and components of it, because between Jeremy understanding lobstering and fishing in, in the LMA, the unrestricted area, the way it does, and me understanding science and engineering down to the details the way it does, and, and we have a conservationist, Zach Cliver, on our board, and we have other lobstermen on our board, I do believe that we are uniquely qualified to take the reins right now of this, of this system development. And move. Mm-hmm.
2: One of the uh, uh, points that Jerry, Jeremy makes is that uh, the DMR needs to come in on this, this uh, also so they can keep track of everybody's traps. And we're going to be working on hopefully changing some of the laws to make a, uh, this project more workable that way. And to that effect, we have Billy Bob Falkingham right on the phone now. He... He is a fisherman also, and he is the uh, president of the House Republican Committee, so welcome to Boat Talk, Billy Bob.
0: Hey, thanks for having me on, you guys. Uh, I thought I was coming on to talk about lobstering, but it sounds like you guys are having a conversation about science fiction.
2: (laughs) Well, we're trying to make it it not fiction. We're trying to make it uh, science reality.
3: I'll let my, I'll let my, I'm going to let my buddy Jeremy answer that one.
4: (laughs) Hi, Bob. It's uh, good to hear from you. Thanks for calling Billy Bob was right there
3: when I got heckled (laughs) off the stage, right? And I looked at you and I said, Billy Bob, you said, we need two years to implement the plan. And I looked right at you and said, Billy Bob, we have your plan. And um, here is Jeremy with me.
0: (laughs) I thought you were going to say something great. And then you said that and I just, uh, I never felt more on the spot in my life, but um,
3: I apologize I really, for that.
0: <laughs> I, I really appreciate, you know, what you're trying to do and you're trying to help. Um, I just don't foresee that uh, being a workable option for the lobster industry. Um, I certainly don't see it happening, you know, over the next six years. Uh, there'd be a lot, lot of issues that would have to be resolved besides just the technology itself which like i said is kind of science fiction at this point um but you'd be getting into uh things like leasing ocean bottom to keep people from you know fishing on top of each other uh uh, many 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 problems with that type of fishery so i i hope it doesn't come to that point i i appreciate you guys for you know doing research and Um, You know, it's something that the federal government has put on the table, so uh, I can completely understand why you would be looking into it, and I know you're trying to help the industry, so I will say that I appreciate that aspect of it.
4: Yeah, yeah. thank you uh Billy Bob and and you're right there are a, there is a million uh, problems with the entire um, system you know how do you set beside a guy if I'm hauling beside you you know when we're 30 yards apart in the dark in the weather, how do you know when my gear goes over? how do you know where it landed? Um, you know these are all things that have been talked about we're working on we're working on that I've been talking to lobstermen mostly lobstermen and, and guys to get input and what their thoughts on that would be because we need a we need a realistic approach I mean I think we can both agree that uh, you know money being spent at a R and D table by primarily scientists and conservationists, and then they hand us a plan and say, "Hey, you're going to make this work for you." Well, that that doesn't work for us going that direction, and I think we've seen that over and over again. Um, And this is this is the kind of the chance to go a different route. And I and I also want to I really want to specify that. Um, I'm not trying to push the idea of um, a grapple on anybody that's that's not what I'm trying to do I'm not trying to push um, inflatables on anybody or deployables Uh, that would be left up to the fishermen you know if and when they ever needed that or wanted to go to that and um, but what I'm saying is that you you can't do any of that unless you can effectively mark where the gear is. Um, you know and if we can prove out that system then if and when it was needed or wanted guys could have another option uh, for these places I mean it's 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 not good being displaced from that zone Uh, and I would do just about anything to get back down there uh, when the money is really there you know and you you have to think beyond just what we're what we're fishing the guys in massachusetts and places like that they have a real need to get rid of some of their buoys and ropes because uh they just get mollyhocked by the marine traffic and they're losing tons of money and tons of gear and uh you know so then i think there just needs to be another another option basically and it's and it's not 1985 anymore you know um it's time to time to come up with a a new solution
0: yeah, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. You know, there might be a time and place and an area, you know, maybe uh, yeah. in this area that's completely closed or maybe south in Massachusetts, but I just hope that it never has to become an option for the vast majority of the Maine lobster industry because I think what we're going to spend the next six years doing is proving to the federal government that we don't interact with these whales. Uh, we've been given some money for uh, research and um, that sort of thing so we should be trying to identify these whales find out where they're at where their travel patterns are at more closely follow the whales and show that not only do we not interact with them but when when those interactions do happen that our gear is already whale safe and i think that you can look at our long fishing history and see that there have never been uh whale death attributed to the main lobster industry ever, so zero whale death. The last whale entanglement was uh, in 2004, so 17, 18 years ago. Um, if, If our gear was interacting negatively with whales, at some point over the last 17 years, there would have been some of our gear turning up on at least one of these whales, and that hasn't happened, and I think that really just speaks volumes to the lack of interaction with the whales, and also if that interaction does happen, that our gear is already whale safe. So once we get the science more in line with what's happening, um, it should prove that this is an area that we don't need to go into in the Maine lobster industry. Right,
4: right. I, I agree with you there, um, Bill. But. The the one pro the only problem I have in in all of that um, I mean there's a there's like you know maybe we don't entangle the right whale but I think we need to be realistic that that's basically the poster child for the conservation uh, effort you know there's other there's sea turtles and all kinds of other stuff that they're going to fight for the right whale is really the poster child so uh, whether you know we have data on that or not the fact is that what flimsy data there is has come down from NOAA and the science community and if you want to wait six more years and sift through more of the same old data, um, you know, what's the option? If you want new science, who's going to gather it? Are you, going to, are you going to pay a scientist to go out there and do it for you or are you going to get behind an organization that's led by a fisherman and fishermen? um and have us collect the data you know part of this overall plan i think people get lost in the idea of the rope and the retrieval and and we need to take a bigger broader scope we need to know where the whales are so we can draw smaller boxes on the map where these restrictions uh may or may not need to be you know these these big general boxes uh we need to get away from that and
3: right
4: and, and that's that's a that's a big part of this um you know we yeah. need we need better information. And I, I don't want to rely on um, the state or the feds to gather the information. I want to get it myself.
3: Yeah. Uh, Billy, this, unquestionably on two points, the system first and foremost becomes an, an, an integrated marine mammal monitoring and protection system. We're going to monitor where the whales are, and we're going to answer the questions, and we're going to do it because we can put out more sensors than anybody and collect more data than anybody. That's, that's sort of one point that really is part of the program, is to determine that. Now, where we do need to, to go inline line free, we are, we are, we are pursuing the Powered Grapple idea, and our experiences says that we're going to be able uh, to get that to work. But one thing that I really want to stress that's really important in all of this is that we are not saying that we're doing anything in the entire Gulf of Maine right now. We are saying, we are proposing a process of experimentation we want to do something like take the lma1 restricted area and do a major experiment at the federal government's expense and see if we can't overcome all of the issues that everybody will say why you can you're asking you're saying that it, that it, that'll never be done I, i'm disagreeing with you and i'm saying hey give me a chance to prove you're wrong at the federal government's expense because i believe that scientific solutions our company the Maine Fishing Technology Corporation and Blue Planet Strategies and the Lobster Men and Women of Maine can pull this off. And, and I think that it's going to be, I think we're going to find that, holy cow, not only did we, can we remove the end lines and floats, we can eliminate illegal fishing, we can eliminate ghost traps, and we can help sustain and monitor the entire Gulf of Maine as we're moving along. But we need to move in a direction. I can't tell you absolutely it's going to work. It's a hypothesis, you know? And then that's the scientific process. Here's a hypothesis. I think you can build it. Gotta go and prove it. And there's gonna be a lot of problems along the way without question.
2: Well, you are listening to Boat Talk right now on WERU-FM Blue Hill. We're talking with Peter Stein and Jeremy Willie about um, fishing gear, lobster gear particularly, uh, lines in the water. And we also have uh, Billy Bob Falkingham on the phone, too, from Augusta. And, Billy Bob, um, I don't mean to be argumentative, but um, if you want to believe the NOAA information that's come out just last fall, um, main gear has been seen on whales, just not um, right whales yet. So we know that they are getting entangled whales, and we know that they are... Up in the area, there's been just last summer uh, a whale seen as far up as Gouldsboro Bay. So um, saying that it's not happening is probably, uh, I'm going to say, is not productive to uh, to trying to figure out a solution to this.
0: Uh, well, I, I'm not sure about that information that you just said. Are, are you saying that uh, I know that entanglements with right whales are happening, but what I'm saying is, None of that here has been uh, uh, identified as Maine lobster here.
3: Um, I'm going to say something bold, and I hope everybody sits down because I like to remind people that I'm a scientist and an engineer, and like a Sheldon on Big Bang Theory. I'm almost certainly going to say something that's going to make you want to punch me in the nose, um, just because it's just to me, it's the state of truths and facts, and I'll and I'll and I'll give you my impression of it. At any given time, we have 500 to 700,000 end lines in the water out in the Gulf of Maine. There are very few humpbacks. The odds of us entangling a, a right whale, I'm sorry, right whales, are very few, and the odds of us entangling them are low, especially since they do seem to skirt our waters now at this particular time. However, turtles, humpback whales, finback whales, they're all out there and all over the place. Whales... Have Low frequency sonars, they didn't evolve to detect a thin vertical line in the water column. They spook when they run into them because they don't know they're there. And it's sort of like, of course, our, our logging trucks clomp into a moose every once in a while. You know, of course. And of course, we sort of get one every once in a while. Now, you might say that a certain number of whales are, of takes are, are acceptable for the iconic Maine lobstering industry. You might say that is true. But how many that answer is a subjective answer it 's different it 's different for, 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 for some people and for other people, depending on on their emotions and associations with the animals. But here we have reached a technological capability where a lot of scientists and engineers are saying that if we work together, if we work as a team, if we work with the lobstermen helping us design the system. You know, being the designers of the system, working out all the kinks that maybe we can do it. Maybe we can maybe we can build the system that does that, that works. And that's where I so, so fully believe we go. And I've been so vocal for a year and on such an emotional ride over it because I see it and I see how big it is if we are successful. And 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 I don't understand. Well, I really believe we should go there. And I think that we have the support to do it and, um, you know, giddy-up and go, <laughs> you know. Um, I don't see any other process that's going to save both the lobstering industry and the right whales besides a, a very strong, you know, uh, system engineering project to build the system. Any other thoughts?
0: Well, I, I, I guess what I'd say to that is I, I think that there are a lot of issues that pose uh, much more danger to... Right whales and also the other whales that you just mentioned that should take importance over coming after the Maine lobster industry, like uh, Canadian stonecraft gear, uh, all the gear up in the you know in the Canadian waters that's not whale safe like Maine gear is, and you know uh, we do interact with humpback whales and they're not they're not getting tangled up and dying in our gear because our gear is whale safe. Uh, But you've got ship strikes, you've got sonar. Um, There were at least two two humpback whales that washed ashore in the southern states that I know of where they're doing uh, sonar testing for offshore wind. And I think that there's a lot more risk and a lot more that should be looked into as far as the risks to offshore wind and ship strikes than coming after the main monster industry.
4: Yeah, you know, and I I agree with you on I agree with you on that. Um totally Bill because um you know, I think one of the reasons that we um you know, as you say, we we don't see the purple markings coming back on um you know, if any, very many at all, um any marine mammals. And it it's because our breakaways work and the weak links work for their intended purpose. That that's absolutely true. And, and I agree that the Canadians, um, they need to come to the front on this. And um, one of the things that I want to push forward with this objective, the, the, the thing with this company is um, I've been spending months and months and months reading all the literature from NOAA, from DMR, uh, from all aspects of the Gulf of Maine because I want to try and tackle this with real data, real science, and real solutions where they need to be. One of the objectives is to push NOAA as a federal agency to work with the canadian you know whatever their um, similar department is if we're going to do trade with canada they need to be complying with the same sinking ground line the same plastic breakaways the same weak links in the rope they need to they need to come to the table too because this is the gulf of maine that they're fishing as well and um you know as far as the right whales down south and the other whales down south in the wind the wind farm industry um, you know part of the thing that Boehm wants to see is um, monitoring of these areas because they're talking about 160 decibels of sound when they're when they're making these detonations for the contact points of the the uh, anchors for these floating windmills this and sustained 160 decibels is like firing an auto a fully automatic shotgun next to your ear for sustained you know time and that obviously has a a detrimental effect on the whales but if nobody's out there to monitor that or if we leave it up to noah or we leave it up to boem to monitor that then are are they going to give that information to you or do we do we figure out how to gather it ourselves and say you know what uh we're peer-reviewed we've got university involvement um we don't we don't have to pay a scientist to gather this we're doing it you know uh the mla barely came up with the money for paul clement and i'm very grateful for all of that um but that that can't be our only hope like that i'm not putting all my eggs into one basket of uh, i'm just you know we need we need multiple solutions
3: and, and 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 continue on to the issue of whales and ship strikes can't can't agree with you more and what is the solution to finally not running over half of the whales that we kill? And the answer to that is ocean data. And this this company, in, in this project, is positioning us to be the ones that are paid for paid by the by the shipping industry to help protect whales because we're the ones that can collect the data
1: that's required.
3: So it's really a, quite an amazing opportunity when you look across that. Spectrum. So,
1: have you talked to Finney Sprague? Do you know who Finney is? Yes,
3: are? I do know who Finney Spregg, and I have talked to Finney. And
1: he was after what was it? Tagging, and he had somebody he was talking to. Do you know who he was talking to, to about tagging, and and maybe going out there and following the whales and doing that instead?
3: I, I was looking at tag. I, you know, I I I, uh, I was listening to the last show and the and the expertise on tagging, and I agree with it. It's very difficult to tag the whales. And it's also invasive in ways that we don't really know. You know, you think they're big animals, and so they're little anchors. But you know, maybe splitter. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's it's um, I, I I just don't think that's the way to do it. The suction tags work, but they only stay on for a little bit of while, and then there's power supply problems and so forth. I'm much more of a fan of of an integrated system between passive active when you really need it in the shipping lanes and um, active sonar, passive sonar, satellite imagery, and then radar integrated with radar and IR off the boats because when they're at the surface, sonars have problems. And, 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 um, And, you know, one of the things I want to emphasize in terms of everybody's talking about acoustics and passive acoustics and active acoustics, and, you know, there's a reason why we still run over whales and submarines are not obsolete and we can't find our, you know, little ROVs and so forth is because we are not technologically capable, um, on this planet of finding objects in the water well enough yet. And our, are the reason for that is boils down to a lack of data. And we, the fishermen, we, the lobster industry are going to make this first stab at, at, at orders of magnitude, more ocean data than ever been collected before. You know, the, um, the, if you look up sensorization in Wikipedia, you'll find that it says that, that it's a requirement for the next technological revolution. Small, individual, many of the same sensors across all of the hardware with overriding software is where we really start to take off as a, as a, as a, as within our capability to sustain and manage the ocean. It's absolute, and, and we, the iconic Maine lobstering industry, are about to prove it.
1: So on Facebook today, there was a couple of photographs of a whale, I presume it was in New Jersey, had washed up on the beach, and they were claiming that it had been uh, killed in whatever they were doing with windmills. But do we know? No.
3: In in, in windmills, you know, I I can understand why it's such a touchy subject, because we don't know what they'll do. We We just don't know. You know, we don't know. We don't have enough data yet. Who do you think is the best ones? To collect the data around the windmills to determine the issues with the lobster fields, the issues with the noise, the issues with the right drill. Who can collect more density data than anybody else? Mm-hmm. You know? Us. And the, to the, in a, in a come back to it, the lobster fleet, the fishing fleet of this country is, is probably the most underutilized, uh, you know, asset for ocean management and sustainment. And there are programs out there that have proven that there's EMOTE, Environmental Monitoring on Lobster Trap. There's programs going across the board in every piece of technology that we've mentioned. It is time to pull it all together into a system. And that is a tall order because that system has to go operational. And when you, when you really get down into, the, into the, the nitty-gritty of what we're doing and you really start to put this together, you start to realize, oh, my goodness, we're going to need an operations center like Jeremy and his guys are you know, harvesters on Mars. They're out there working for us in a dangerous, dangerous environment. They're amongst ships, they're amongst whales, they're amongst this, there's this going on and that going on. The system starts to give us the ability to monitor it all in close communication with them too. You know, it, it's the future. And, and I do believe that we are about to launch into that 21st century of fishing and that the, that the main lobstering industry is gonna take us there.
0: I I will say this much. When it comes to self-regulation and sustainability, the Maine Lobster industry is by far the gold standard. Absolutely.
3: I just want to jump um, in and agree with you wholeheartedly, Billy. It it is just time to continue that trend.
0: You've certainly piqued my interest as far as tracking the whales. Um, The the ropeless part of it, um, I still think is in the sci-fi category. (laughs) But as far as okay. utilizing the lobster industry for this type of uh, tracking, vo- you know, voluntary tracking and stuff like that. If you have sensors and and things of that nature that that will locate whales, uh, the more we can locate whales and what their interaction is with our gear, that the better off we are. Uh, so, if you guys come up with some stuff that that will work to identify where whales are and their you know frequency around our gear and things of that nature, uh, I'm all for it. And I hope you guys, you know, come up with those devices and can get funding to do it, uh, even if it is outside of government, you know, funded or, or, or wherever the funding comes from. Because uh, if it's peer-reviewed science and it, it works and you guys are positively identifying or the, the lack thereof of right whales, then I'm all
4: for it. Thank you, Billy. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Bill. And I'll, I'll just end real quick with, uh, or just to, to finish up with that. You know, you're right about the peer review, and and um, I would I would love a chance to just sit down and show you the storyboard that yeah. I've I've created. Um, I've spent uh, the past two weeks creating a massive storyboard on a giant, um, you know, just map of the Gulf of Maine. Uh, and as a as a lobsterman, you um, would would appreciate the what I've put into this because everything that's on it, all my information boxes, and all my requirements, and all my. Um, you know, all the thoughts that we've had as this company, all the, everything that you've said, it's all, it's all there. It's all on my map. I've been penning it down for weeks and all of these different things are there. Um, I've thought about it all extensively while hauling traps, while being out in the dark, uh, you know, I've been thinking about it on the road. Um, how does this work from a practical standpoint? And that's why I'm taking such, um, such a, a lead on this and, and, you know, I, I just feel like it's the right move because it's the chance for us to kind of stand at the helm um, rather than try and raise money as the MLA or as the MLU and then, and then shell it out. I mean, in the end of the day, you still have to work with the science community and it just depends on do you want to be on the team that's um, benefiting from that and, and working with it or do you want to be the team that has to hire them to do it? You know, so at, at the end of the day, um, you know it comes to how you want to run it, but I, I appreciate the talk. It, it's really good, um, Bill, and I, I would love to sit down and show you that map at your office or whenever, geez, even at having coffee and just talk yeah. about it like fishermen. Because I know that um, at the core of it, you you sit in that office, but you're you're a fisherman at core. So um, I think hearing I, it from I, that I perspective am, is
0: is yeah, important.
4: Certainly, certainly I'm a, are. <laughs>
1: a fisherman
0: first and foremost, and uh, mm-hmm. even though we're on the radio, I'd like to give you guys an invitation. I'd love to have you come into my office and give me a presentation on that. And we we would, we would love to be there.
3: We're 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 there. We're there. And you know, I just, I also want to, you know, I want to, I want to give a little bit of my bona fides. You know, when I was ten years old, my dad bought his first boat, and you know, it started off as a thirty-three foot boat and ended up as a seventy-four foot boat when he was quite a bit older. And I boated the entire Gulf of Maine, and I've been out at sea, and I get it. I understand it. You know, if, if if our our goal is to minimize the impact on, on, on Maine's fishing heritage without question. You know, I look out at Stonington Harbor with a great deal of emotion, and what I see the change in Stonington Harbor right now is, oh, maybe there's a little another antenna on all of those boats. Maybe, maybe just maybe there's a, another, another shackle, another, another shiv with a drone hanging off of it with a little cover over it, and that's, and that's it. But we can't deny that sort of under the hood, what we're doing when we, re- when we remove the ropes, if we do it, is a major change. And we can't just leap into it. We have to do it as, as an experiment. We have to find out what all the issues are. There are so many knowns and unknowns and known unknowns and unknown unknowns that, that we're going to run into. And uh, I, I look forward to sitting down with you in your office soonest. <laughs> Billy, thank you for calling in.
2: Billy, Bob, you thank still you there? Bob. Yes, I am. Um yep. We only have a minute left, but I have one quick question. I know the uh, the federal government just pl- passed some, uh, some legislation that's going to send money our way as far as uh, uh, researching this. Are you uh, at the legislature considering how you're going to uh, divvy up this money?
0: Well, that money came from the federal government, so uh, I'm not exactly sure what the details are on what the state's ability to, to divvy that money up is. Um, it probably comes with uh, rules and, and fine print from Washington, D.C., so we'll have to take a look at that. Um, but I'm cer- certainly willing to discuss options at the state level and sit down and have a, have a talk with us. And uh, It definitely impacts my livelihood. You know, I, I had a two-year clock on my livelihood now I, I feel like that clock's been wound back to six years but it's certainly a very uh, nerve-wracking place to be for our fishing industry so I'm definitely uh, interested in looking at all the options on on the table to keep us employed.
2: Thank you Billy. Thank you very much Billy we got to wrap it up but uh, I hope we'll be talking with you again in the future about this.
0: Yes thanks for having me on it was a great discussion. Yeah thank you. Yeah, thank thanks
2: you. Bill. So you just have a, a minute left.
1: One quick thing is, you know, the Maine Fishermen's Forum is coming up the first weekend of March. Is mm-hmm. are you guys presenting there or, or doing anything? We
3: are spinning up rapidly as to how we're going to handle, you know, that and the Canadian fishing. <laughs> there's a lot coming at us these days as we pull this together. Because it'd be
1: nice, you know, when Billy offered this, you know, you could do it to a whole, a whole group of people. Yeah, I, we're, if we're, you're ready. Well, it's oh. it's
4: um, the Fisherman's Forum because it's been a couple of years since it's happened. It, I think the booths were pretty much full. But, I mean, this, uh, the first we'll time there. I talked to Peter no, was— Do a
1: lecture. Huh? Do a lecture.
4: Well, the, yeah, I, we're exploring it. I, I, I've put in some information to try and, and figure it out. Yes, yeah. we do want to present, and I think we're at that point. So, uh, yeah. Good. Looking forward to it. So
2: this has been a really interesting boat talk and I uh, hope uh, we've uh, made some progress in, in moving uh, the lobster industry into the 21st century. Uh, thanks to Pippin down in the engine room for doing all the work here with the, with the phones. And thanks to Peter Stein and Jeremy Willie for joining us today. And I think we'll be talking with them again in the future. Thank you, Alan. We hope so. Thanks,
1: Alan. Thanks, John.